We've all messed up at some point in our lives, somehow, some way, to some degree. You knew what you needed to do, and you chose to do the wrong thing. And we all know the cliches. Nobody's perfect. To err is human. Gotta get back on that horse. Well, easier said than done. But what about when you failed God? Committed some sin that makes you question whether you are even a sincere believer? And then you wonder why God would ever bother with you at all again, let alone use you to serve Him. There's good news for people like us. Jesus is not only in the salvation business, He is in the restoration business. He's far from finished with you. He will get you back where you need to be. Open your Bible to John chapter 21, and let's go after knowing His restoration. Open your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. On this last stretch here, we see Jesus accomplished the purpose for which He came. To die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to raise from the dead to give us the promise of eternal life. And in the day that Jesus resurrected, He appeared to His disciples, remember, without Thomas. And then eight days later, appeared again, Thomas, with them. And in those meetings, Jesus left the disciples and us two things. He said, there's a mission. You need to be empowered by the Spirit to deal with sin. That was last week's message. But Jesus also left a blessing, and that's especially for us when Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen yet believe. And truthfully, the gospel could have ended in chapter 20. But there's a major loose end that needs tied up here. And that's Peter. Remember back in chapter 18, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And he was arrested Heading to his darkest hour. And Peter, the the closest one to Jesus, by his own admission, denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was. And yeah, Jesus shows up. We saw last week, Jesus shows up and he gives the mission and tells him to receive the Holy Spirit and all of that. And I think, though, even, even though that happened, I think Peter was still wondering. Yeah, that's uh, that's all well and good, but um, these guys didn't mess up the way I messed up, right? Look at verse 1 in chapter 21. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, so we have seven disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And you're like, well, who are the two others? We don't know. The best guess is probably Andrew and Philip, but 
For some reason, uh, John didn't mention them. The interesting thing about that list, okay, there's seven of them. Six of those disciples were the same disciples that were called back in chapter 1. They were the first called. You're like, who was the seventh? Well, that was Thomas, who swore he was never missing another meeting. So Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. And the others were like, okay, we're going with you. Now understand this, in the Greek, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, this was more than just like passing time, like hobby. This was more than that. The Greek seems to indicate that this was a statement of finality. As in Peter was saying, you know what, guys, I'm going, I'm going back to fishing. As in, I don't know what to do now. So I'm just going to go back to what I've known. Right? And I think Peter... At this point, I think he thought he was done with ministry. You know, Jesus gave the call, but Peter's like, yeah, that's, that's good for other people, but I, I blew it. How could Jesus use someone like me? Well, look at verse 4. It says, just as day was breaking, I remember they fished, caught nothing. It says, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. So like Mary Magdalene at the tomb, they didn't recognize Jesus. And uh, Jesus' statement admittedly might have irritated them. Because again, the way this is constructed in, in the Greek, literally... Um, Jesus' question was anticipating the negative. His question was literally this. Hey, you guys didn't catch anything, did you? Like, could you imagine being one of the fishermen? You're out all night fishing, and there's some guy on the shore. Like, hey, you guys didn't catch anything, did you? Who is that guy? Well, hold on. (laughs) Verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. They were like, you didn't think we thought about that? But they, they, for some reason they obeyed because look, it says, so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said uh, to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples uh, came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Okay, so John's like, when they, they get the miraculous catch, and John's like, it's, it's the Lord! And, and Peter's like, cannonball! And he just like jumps in, and he's like, there's no way John is beating me this time. All right, he might have beat me in the foot race, but swimming is my thing, all right? So, Racing to the shore, verse um, Maria, verse 9 says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. i got to tell you, I, 
Can you even wrap your brain around what that must have been like for Peter? You're like, what do you mean? He gets on the shore and there's a charcoal fire. When was the last time we heard about a charcoal fire in John's Gospel? Flashback, John chapter 18, servant girl, their door girl was like, you're not one of his disciples, are you, to Peter? And Peter's like, I I have no idea who he is. And then Peter goes and he warms himself at a charcoal fire. And now Jesus comes on the shore. Here's Jesus crucified, resurrected, and he has a charcoal fire. Do you think that reminded Peter of anything? Verse 10 Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here's an interesting little tidbit I was studying this week. These were a particular kind of fish that they would have caught at the Sea of Tiberias. And um, these fish would have weighed about two pounds each. All right, so help me out, math people. 153 fish at about two pounds each is how, how much fish are we looking at? Okay, it's like over 300 pounds of fish. You know, what's interesting is the, the whole group couldn't haul them in, but it says Peter did himself. Manly man, right? So... um They realize at this point, it's Jesus. And it says they didn't ask, and they know. They know. And amazingly, your Bible says that Jesus provided for them. He served them. He provided breakfast for them. And you know, at this point, as they were all gathered around the charcoal fire, you know what Peter had to be thinking about. The unresolved elephant in the room. We never addressed this, did we? That, Lord, I I failed you. Like, inexcusably failed you. I, I royally messed up. And you know, when the pressure was on, I showed. I denied three times that I even knew who you were. Anybody else here been there? I imagine that some of you are here now. That you have messed up so bad. Or so repeatedly that you feel like a spiritual loser. Our sin and our failure just like it crushes us. And it's, 
It is in our faces, and we carry this, this guilt around, and we're like, I'm such, a, I'm such a failure. God's surely done with me because I'm so weak, and I thought I was so strong, but I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm a terrible Christian. What do we do about that? Like Peter, we're just we're paralyzed by the guilt. And we're we're just ready, like Peter, to throw in the spiritual towel, and we're gonna go back to we'll go back to fishing, and we'll go back to whatever is familiar, because obviously we stink at following Jesus, and we don't know what we were thinking in the first place, and Jesus Jesus must be so disappointed in me. Have you ever felt that? Well, we're going to look at Jesus' response to that. But I have to remind you of three foundational truths before we get into this restoration, because this is, this is it. Three foundational truths that you need to embrace to truly understand the restoration that Jesus brings Peter to here. So jot these down, letter A. Three foundational truths you need to embrace. Jesus knew you were going to fail before you did. Okay? So if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm such a failure. I can't believe I did that. Jesus knew you were going to fail before you did. Do you remember Jesus told Peter exactly how he was going to fail before it happened? Do you remember that? But sometimes we get this mindset like we blow it. And, and God must be shocked, right? Like we, we, we royally messed up and like some angel goes before the Lord and says, hey, you're not going to believe what so-and-so did. And God's like, oh, what? He did what? You think, you're, you think that your sin shocked God, really? You think, he, you think he didn't see it coming? That's a strong stance to take. Jesus knew. You were going to fail even before you did. The letter B, foundational truth. If you have received Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven, even the bad ones, even the ones you haven't committed yet. That is a fundamental truth. We get this mindset again. We, like, I received Christ. So now all of the sins I committed, what's, what's today's date? Was this, is this the fifth? Is this the fifth? Okay, we'll say, we'll go with that. All the sins I committed before December 5th, if I receive Christ today, all those are forgiven. But if I sin on December 6th, I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness again. That is not true. When you receive Christ, you are in a position of being forgiven. You're in a position of being not guilty. You are pardoned. And it doesn't matter. And obviously as Christians, we don't want to sin. We don't want to dishonor the Lord. But your sin doesn't kick you out of the family, unadopt you, make you unborn again. It doesn't happen. When you receive Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. You stand in a state of no longer condemned. And if you're struggling with that still, I want you to think, just think about it this way. When Jesus was dying on the cross, how many of your sins were in the future from that moment? All of them, right? All of them. 
So all of your sins are forgiven if you're in Christ, okay? Even the ones you haven't committed yet. Third foundational truth, letter C, today's the day to get back in the game. Today's the day to get back in the game. What are you waiting for? If you're sitting here or you're watching this stream and you're like, yeah, I blew it. And someday, someday I'm going to get back on track with the Lord. Someday, someday I'm going to, someday I'm going to get back to, to church and worship. I'm going to get back to reading my Bible someday. I'm like, what, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for forgiveness? Because to tell us die, right? It is finished. That's been accomplished. Today's the day to get back. So now on your outline, knowing his restoration, here's three things that Jesus calls restored failures to do. All right, with this as a foundation, three things Jesus calls restored failures to do. Number one, care for his people. Look at verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? What whether the these? More than more than what? More more than these what? Well some some people think Jesus was talking about the fishing gear because Peter went back to fishing and Jesus was like pointing at the nets and boats and all of that. So do you love me more than this stuff? I don't think that's what he was talking about. Some people say that Jesus was saying, Do you love me more than you love the other disciples? And I don't think that's what he was talking about either. I think what Jesus was saying to Peter was Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Like, why would he ask that? Well, Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, you see it again, Mark 14, 29. You see, Peter elevated himself above the other disciples. And he said, hey, even if they all fall away, Jesus, I never will. They'll fail you, but not me. And Jesus is calling Peter back to that statement. Like, hey, you love me more than they do? And I love Peter's response. You see the humility. He he focuses on the Lord's knowledge, right? He says, yes, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Obviously, he was saying, take care of my people. Disciple people, make disciples, carry out the mission of evangelism that I've called you to, Peter. And my mission is loving and caring for people. That's the mission. And I want you to do that. And I guarantee you, Peter wanted the conversation to end right there. Like, okay. Got it. But it didn't end there. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, 
Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. Do you think Peter caught the connection? I denied you three times and now you're asking me three times. But there's a little um, nuance in the Greek that is worth mentioning. You see the Greek, the Greek language, there are different words for love. We're kind of limited in the English language. We, we say love and we say love about everything, right? Like I don't I love my wife, I love my dog, I love hockey, I love pizza, and I don't love all those things the same way, right? But there were different words um, for love in the Greek, and there are two words used here. And uh, it's the word agape, which is the self-sacrificing love, the committed love, the you-before-me kind of love. And then there's phileo, which is uh, like affection, like brotherly love. Phileo is the kind of love you have like for your friends that you don't have for like a stranger. Okay, it's, oh, I like this guy and he's my buddy and, and I care about this guy and that's phileo. And sometimes these words are used synonymously, but in this context, there's a very clear distinction that's made. And it helps us understand the conversation. So if I can paraphrase by inserting the words, okay, agape, self-sacrificing love, phileo, brotherly love or affection, to paraphrase this conversation, um, literally in the Greek, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Are you committed to me? Peter says, Lord, you know I care about you. The second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Are you committed to me? And Peter says, you know that I I care about you, Jesus. Then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do do you care about me? We see when Jesus used the word that Peter used, Peter was grieved. Peter was saying, you know, you know everything. And obviously for my failure that you totally predicted, you know me better than I know myself, Jesus. You know that I, I phileo you. Peter was so reluctant to make the claim of total commitment. Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's like, yeah, you know, I swore that I was the most agape, devoted disciple of all of them. But we all saw that that wasn't true, didn't we? Peter's saying, all I can... That's all I got. I I, I care about you. You You know that I care about you, Lord. But I want you to see Jesus' plan to restore Peter was just one question. 
And it's the most important question. This is what we have to get to the heart of. It's this, total agape committed love for Christ drives you to love Christ's people. I just find it so fascinating that Jesus came here, obviously, to restore Peter. I find it so fascinating the things that Jesus didn't do that we would naturally do if that was us in a situation. Like, what do you mean? I mean this. Jesus didn't ask Peter if he was sorry. Do you notice that? Jesus didn't make Peter promise to never do it again. Like, do you want to get in ministry? All right, well, listen. You're going to stop this denying me stuff, all right? You promise? You promise? You're not going to do this again? He didn't. Jesus didn't do those things. He went right to the heart. He said, listen, Peter, i got I got to ask you a question, man. Do you love me? He challenged Peter's love. That was the question. Like, why? Because Jesus wants your heart. And Jesus knows if he has your heart, the rest of you is going to follow. So for those of you who are feeling off track, not close with God right now, ashamed of yourself, I have a word for you from the word of God. And that is this, Jesus loves you. There is no question about that whatsoever. God demonstrated his love once and for all. He loves you. Really, the only question that you need to ask yourself is, do you love him? That's what Jesus was driving at. The same call to Peter is just as real to you. Do you love Jesus? Then feed his sheep. Do you love Jesus? Then show it by taking care of his people, by getting involved in ministry, by being plugged into a small group and pouring into people and investing in people's lives. Be intentional about showing your love for Jesus by loving his people. That's what Jesus called Peter to. And that's what he's calling you to today. Do you love him? And you're like, yeah, you know what, Jeff, that's, I, I do, but I, I, don't, I don't feel worthy. None of us are worthy, right? And that's one of the most beautiful things about the gospel. He makes you worthy. And if you can't accept that, then you haven't really understood what happened on the cross. And for some of you, what you need to do is embrace his restoration. You need to embrace his grace. And absolutely, if you have wronged someone in whatever way you blew it, if you've wronged someone, you need to make restitution. That's part of repentance. Absolutely. But it's time to end the pity party and get back on the mission. Oh, I failed. I messed up. I'm such a loser. Hey, we're all losers. That's why Jesus died. 
back to the mission. Knowing his restoration, three things Jesus calls restored failures to do. First of all, he says, care for his people. Secondly, follow him to the end. Follow him to the end. Look at verse 18. Jesus, again, still speaking to Peter. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Like, what's, what, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, there's... Jesus' words here seem cryptic. So thankfully for us, John clarified exactly what Jesus was talking about. Look at verse 19. John says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, Follow me. So Peter was going to give his life for the cause of Christ, glorifying God in his death. And History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. And uh, people believe that that's what Jesus is referring to here. But you know this is full circle. Three years prior to this event, three years prior to this event, Jesus showed up at the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, if you prefer, and after providing this fisherman named Peter a miraculous catch of fish, after all night of not catching anything, Jesus told Peter to follow him. That's in Luke chapter 5. Fast forward three years later, right here, the same sea. Another miraculous catch of fish. After another night of not catching anything, Jesus tells a fisherman named Peter to follow him. Do you see that? Peter's story ends where it began, where Jesus shows up and says, Follow me. I mean, he answered the call before, and now Jesus is calling Peter to recommit. Okay, I have big plans for you. Follow me. Led by the shepherd wherever he takes you. And Jesus made it so clear in his ministry that being a disciple only means being willing to follow all the way. That's the only kind of disciple there is. And I think that's what Jesus was driving at here. Jesus doesn't have any part-time disciples, no half-committed disciples, no temporary positions available. To follow Jesus means you're willing to follow all the way. That's the only kind of disciple there is. Wherever he sends you, whether it's in your backyard or in your community or overseas, whatever happens to you, Sickness, loss, tragedy, opposition. What are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Oh, life got hard and I quit. Really? Where in the brochure did it say life was going to be easy with or without Christ? What are you going to do? 
I'll tell you what, I'd rather face the difficulties of life with Christ than try to fend for myself. You see, the difference between you and Peter is you weren't told how you're going to die. I'm not sure I'd want to know, actually. But what you have in common with Peter is you're told how to live. Jesus, notice he didn't promise Peter it'd be easy. He didn't say, follow me, Peter, for a Cadillac-type faith, health and wealth. And he says, hey, this is, this is going to result in a brutal death for you. Follow me. Jesus promises Peter and us that the road's going to be hard. Do you love Jesus? Then you need to follow him. Every new call he places on your life has to be a new opportunity for you to renew your commitment to him. You've got to follow him to the end. Number three, refuse to compare yourself with others. Three things Jesus calls restored failures to do. Care for his people, follow him to the end, and refuse to compare yourself with others. Look at verse 20. Okay, so Jesus is like, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following them, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And if you listen really close, you can almost hear the sounds of the Face palms from the other disciples when Jesus or when uh, Peter said this to Jesus. The, you get the scene. Do you love me? And you're going to give your life for me? And I want you to follow me. And cue the music. And then you hear the needle scratching across the record when Peter's like, "But what about this man?" And all the other disciples were like, "What about this man?" Do you remember, Peter, the last time that you were comparing yourself to the other disciples? Even if they fall away, I never will. Remember how that worked out? And you still have your eyes on what the other disciples are doing. Wow. Well, Jesus, verse 22, says, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. Now what did Jesus mean by that? If it's my will that he remain until I come? Is this some, did he mean like in a spiritual sense? Is he talking hypothetically? Well, we know what he didn't mean. Verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yeah, Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Okay, so John clarifies, because, you know, people misunderstood what Jesus said, and he thought it meant that John was going to live until the second coming of Christ. And Well, here's the thing, though. If you're, like, so fixated on what Jesus meant by that statement, 
then you miss the point. And Jesus' point was simply this. What I do with John is none of your business. You follow me. But what about... What, but what, I, 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 I. I got my own thing happening with John. You don't worry about that. You. You follow me. And before we pick on Peter, we all do it. We get so much more interested in other people's journey with Christ than our own. Whether it's good or bad, positive or negative, we do this. We get fixated on other people's walks. We do it all the time. So much more concerned about whether or not somebody else is following Jesus, and we're not looking at, or am I following Jesus? We, do, we, 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 are, we are so much like Peter here. I hear this all the time. They're like, hey, hey, hey Pastor Jeff, did you, see, did you see this church down the road? They're basing their entire Christmas sermons. Their Christmas, they, they were advertising. They're basing their entire Christmas sermons on Michael Jackson songs. Like, what do you think about that? I'm like, I really don't care. What that church is doing has nothing to do with me, right? Not my business. There's only one church that I'm really concerned about, and it's this one. Jesus says, you follow me. And some people are like, well, what about the sex abuse in the, in the Catholic church? Pray for them. But that has nothing to do with your walk, does it? Jesus says, you follow me. Somebody would say, well, what about, my, what about my husband? He doesn't go to church. He doesn't seem interested. And I would say, well, Jesus will deal with him. And Jesus is dealing with you when he says, you follow me. And I just, oh, I heard this so many times. You know, that preacher on TV did this, and I went to this church, and there was scandalous, and the pastor did this, and he was, and they're all hypocrites, and, 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 and somehow people use that as justification to not follow Christ personally. Like, why don't you follow Christ? Because I saw some TV preacher did this. What? Who gives a rip? There's hypocrites everywhere. And when you do that, you're just like Peter. Well, what, 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 what about this guy? And Jesus says to you just what he says to Peter. Hey, not your business. You follow me. Because here's the reality. If you're going to start comparing yourself to other people, you are always going to find somebody further down the road than you, more mature than you, has their act together a little bit better than you. You're always going to find that person. And you'll, oh, I'm never going to be as good as that guy. And you're always going to find somebody that is dishonoring Christ and making a mockery of the faith. You're always going to find that guy too. And their journey has nothing to do with you. Comparing yourself with someone else is pointless. Because God has a plan for you and your journey. And the only person that you need to worry about, are they following Jesus? That's you. You need to worry about you. All right? So have you blown it? Did you get off track? Do you feel guilty that you failed Christ in some way? Well, listen, you're forgiven. 
Tetelestai. Your sins have been paid for. You need to get back to one thing. And that's asking yourself this. Do I love Jesus Christ? Do I love him? Well, then prove it. He proved his love for you. What are you doing to prove your love for him? Get back on the horse. Care for his people. Be faithful no matter what happens. And stop comparing yourself to others. Because Jesus says to you today, do you love me? Follow me. Last two verses here. It says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So John's gospel is completed, though he could have written a whole lot more. But the story of Jesus is far from over. Because that story includes you. Yes, you. Even if you messed up. Even if you messed up really bad. Let Jesus restore you. Because you've got some sheep to feed. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace in which we stand. That if we're truly being honest, there's not a person in this room or watching this stream that deserves anything from you. And you've given us everything. Every single one of us should stand eternally condemned for the way that we've dishonored you with horribly wicked thoughts, harsh words, deceptive actions. Hateful conduct. But you put our sin on your son. And oh, like Peter, we still mess up. And like Peter, we still wonder if we should just go back to doing things our old way. But we see Jesus still pursue us. So, Father, I want to pray specifically for the person who maybe feels like they've messed up so badly that there's no possible way you're ever going to do anything with them. I pray, Father, you would bring to their heart and mind the path that restitution and repentance needs to look like if they've wronged anyone. But, Father, I pray that they would embrace the reality that all of our sins are forgiven in Christ. And it's your desire to bring us to a better place. I pray, Father, they wouldn't delay. Let your spirit press on them the urgency of getting back to feeding your sheep. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor Jeff Miller, and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this, how can I support your ministry? 
Well, I got good news for you. It is easy and it is secure. All you have to do is go to harvestpittsburghnorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions and you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North.